Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsperts.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. Good evening. Oh, welcome, welcome. Bren, how are you? Oh, yes. I just uh, um, I've been to BVA um, live last week. So that's a British Veterinary Association conference. Um, just, uh, yeah. Going around doing so much, it's meeting people that see us on the podcast, even at BVA, it's marvellous. It's <laughs> hilarious. The fact that, you know, vets and nurses, well, it was quite quiet, to be fair, um, but it's great that uh, we see people. We've got a wonderful student who's um, staying with us uh, at the moment, seeing practice, uh, Rachel High. Um, she's uh, from Bristol University um, and uh, She's really enjoying um, this. She's a raw food feeder with German shepherds. Uh, so uh, she's enjoying uh, just seeing a holistic view, I think. Um, but no, it's, it's been great. And, and you, and actually, I met a client in my surgery just the other day who saw you. Where were you, Nick? Go on. What were you doing at the weekend? Uh, last weekend, I was in London at the. Uh, you at were? The, at a show uh, called the. Pet health show, I think. Oh, and did she come? She came to the event. Oh, brilliant. I thought, I really enjoyed it, I think. And not many people fell asleep. So I thought, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs> it was brilliant. really fun. Yeah, brilliant. really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Oh, great. So I've got loads of things to talk about before we jump in. But Pete said, make sure that you mention verbally, because we normally say, join uh, have a look at patreon so i just want to say thank you very much to all our patreon supporters those people who donate the price of a cup of coffee once a month to help us keep the show on the road and i have just become actually no he said make sure that you mention patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics patreon.com raw pet medics slash raw pet medics um and uh, if you want to just give us a tiny little bit of uh, Spondulix, keep the, the show on the road. We'd be very grateful indeed. So there you go, Pete. That was for you. Um, um, and so uh, we should crack on. So I'm good for to do questions. You've got a question there. Question handy when you switch off. The yeah. Phone. So uh, we had a um, a question from. Um, uh, let's see who is it from. Oh, anyway, it was about salivary mucosils. Um, so because we've been talking about lumps and bumps um, in the mouth and we've not really touched on um, salivary mucosils. So it's really important that we probably just touch on that and um, get ourselves to a point where we can differentiate for those people what it is. So, go on, Nick, do you know enough about salivary mucosils? I'll jump in if you... Yeah, salivary mucosil. Basically, your, your salivary glands, which are down here, they produce a trickle of saliva all the time, but and, and it goes through a, a salivary duct to get from the glands to just under your tongue, same in a dog. 
and um, if you get a blockage in that duct, they then they then blow up and they can be quite painful and um, you may not digest as well because you're not producing producing the saliva and you will often have to either get it drained or uh, surgically intervened, which is where you come in because I haven't touched the scalpel, Brendan, for <laughs> 23 years now, which is a shame because I quite like surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so what, yeah, what would you the, do with it? What would you do with it? Uh, so a couple of things to remember. So these can often come up quite large, okay, and people get really worried because it's like some huge mass. And some of them will be um, mistaken for thyroid carcinomas and things like that in the dog particularly, but they can happen in dog and cats. Um, the, the telltale way is to do a fine needle aspirate. We've talked about that in previous cancer diagnosis, but if we place a fairly thick needle into this, we will draw off some fairly gooey um, material. Now, most salivary mucosils are to some degree self-limiting. They will reach a, a point where the gland is switched off and it stops producing saliva. And at that point, it then will usually sort of dry up and recede. Now, these can sometimes form because the saliva has actually created a, almost a solid um, mass of protein and it's lodged into the duct. Um, and sometimes we, we can flush those. Uh, sometimes it's just a case of draining off all of the saliva and letting it effectively fibrose up and allow the rest of the gland to take over. So as long as that blockage is not too far down the tract, um, so these usually are seen up here. They could happen any of the salivary glands, so the ones on the side of the head, um, uh, but usually it's the ones just the submandibular, so just at the back of the throat. Um, and it's usually one-sided, and we can drain those. There's enough saliva coming out the other side. Honestly, in dogs, they're not masticating food to mix saliva into, you know, the salivary digestive enzymes into material for them to have any sort of digestive effect. Usually it is just a lubrication of the mouth so that they can swallow big chunks. So don't worry too much um, about that. Um, if, if they do need to remove the gland, it certainly isn't a problem as far as the digestion of foods in, into the future. If they are left with doing nothing else, there is a risk that they can get infected. So I have seen these turn into abscesses. Um, they can start to redden up, get quite angry, can be very sore to touch. Um, and if that's happening, then, yeah, unfortunately, draining, you have to lance them like an abscess, drain them properly, sometimes leave a drain in there uh, with the material coming out. So that probably is about everything you need to know. There's very few cancers of the salivary gland. They're certainly not common by mm -hmm. any means. So usually, if they're going in and, and not finding lymph node material in that swelling, uh, then the next thing that they need to do is use a larger needle and actually see if they can draw out saliva. Because sometimes it's so thick in there, it won't come out of a normal needle that you're using for fine needle aspirates. Okay? Yeah, I think that the take home is really if you find a lump anywhere, uh, talk to your vet very, you know, fairly quickly about a fine needle aspirate biopsy. Yeah. 
think that's the, that's the take home so that you know where you no vets are born with x-ray vision and therefore getting a needle into that lump even if you choose not to do anything after that but at least you know what it is such that you can make a decision to uh, move away from a surgical option so there you go that's that's um uh, good advice okay fab i've got a question here from nicola uh nicola i won't say your name just in case and mm -hmm. um when you are trying a single protein diet, try and find out what's causing your dog to itch. How long do you give the single protein for? And does the protein source have to be one that you've never given before? I've listened to itch one and two on the Facebook lives, but couldn't find it there with any answers. So you want to jump into that one to start with, Bren? Okay, I, I often come across this problem. So a minimum, of six to eight weeks if it's truly an allergy. Now, we will see a change if it's a hypersensitivity or an intolerance, sometimes within a week to two weeks. But if it's a true allergy, it's minimum six to eight weeks to see a start of a change, and it can take 12 weeks to truly overcome the allergy. So that could be a long trial if you're trialing food. So that's why we have this interim six to eight weeks to make sure, you know, how are they doing at that point? If they've already resolved totally, it was probably a hypersensitivity or some other sort of reaction. If it's not resolved, but it's 50% better, say, then we need to continue with that protein trial. And if it's, you know, gets to 12 weeks and it's totally resolved, then it definitely was that issue. Okay. And we can say, you know, start challenging them with other proteins and see how they get on. As for the type of protein, um, the, the safest thing is always to go for something totally novel, but it's not always practical. And I would definitely say, you know, if you're able to get something like goat um, and they generally, or, or, or even if they're able to get lamb and they're mainly on chicken as a base diet, then that's an option for you to try is to go, do you know what, I'm going to try lamb and we'll stick to just lamb. We can get enough lamb only stuff, including organs and tripe, etc. And therefore we can stick to that. But you sort of, you know, all of the tests, I'm afraid, as I've said this many a time, at best are a guide, at worst misleading. Um, just please, yeah, if you're on a diet, please try and stick to that. Beware of all of those little additions you know, some of the probiotics that have beef in them or some of the, um, you know, supplements that may have, um, you know, soya in them. Uh, you know, just, just be aware that they could be perpetuating your problems. Uh, what protein is your favorite protein, Nick? Okay, I've got six actually, but I, so I'm just going to uh, jump in. I'm, what I tend to do is initially I'll go two weeks, I'll go two weeks, two weeks, two weeks and do three or four proteins just, just, to, just to kind of have a, a, a broad view of, of what kind of sensitivities it, it can sometimes get you off to a really good start. So that's number one. And if, if you've got a protein, you think, is it or isn't it, is it or isn't it, then that's where you need to go for the six, 12 weeks or so. But that's a very long time. If you've got a dog squitting through the eye of a needle, 12 weeks is a very long time. So, um, initially a couple of weeks the other thing is um does it have to be that they've never seen before no not really but if it's slightly unusual then that i think really really helps i always say wheat beef and chicken are the proteins um 
Uh, wheat is obviously not a protein, but it does have uh, gluten, gliadin, and what have you within it, and that's the protein that can, can uh, cause problems. Wheat, beef, and chicken are the things that I find cause the most problems. Um, and the, the other thing was, oh yeah, my, my top protein. Right, here's the list. I've got it in my head. We have got goat and pork and fish and rabbit and duck and venison. They would be my, my top six. Take pick uh, all of those really, really useful because they're off yeah. the beaten track. And, and I would definitely say so, and, and absolutely great you know, list there. I would say pork, definitely in the UK, really safe to give raw, okay? Uh, you know, parasite side of things. They're often frozen out anyway for the the worms and that side of things. Yeah. Uh, and even the viral concern, which is our Jeskis disease, which is pseudo rabies, um, is not a problem in Western Europe and in the UK. So pretty much any of our pork, you can feed raw, no problems. Be aware if you're in North America and Canada um, and certainly um, further afield in the Far East um, and, you know, sort of Eastern Europe. Our Jeskis is a definite issue with raw pork. Be careful. It's normally taken out by cooking um, or lightly cooking the food uh, as a virus. It's not very stable, but it certainly can be a very alarming disease. Not common, but it is out there. So I would just say that would be the one protein that I wouldn't say necessarily transfers around the world uh, for being able to be used uh, in those circumstances. This but a great, great list. So just want to quickly rattle off those ones again for the, the guys at home, your favourite top okay. five Yeah, proteins. yeah, if you want it again. So uh, six. So we've got goat and pork and fish. Fish, anything you like. Uh, you, white fish is usually the easiest to get hold of. So goat and pork and fish. And then we've got uh, duck and rabbit and venison. Finding venison in the States is pretty difficult unless you know a hunter. But um, those, are, those, are, those are goodies, I think. Uh, yeah, we've talked about this before because it's not necessarily, it's usually white-tailed deer or red deer, isn't it? It's not, um, and then it starts to get, it's not produced to human grade, so they can't sell it and all the rest of it. Yeah, so, so. If, in, if in doubt, though, you, you would just lightly, so if you, if you were in, Middle East, uh, and you could get hold of pork, which may not be easy for religious reasons. But if you, let's say you could, that, and you're thinking crumbs, you know, uh, the guys were talking about Ojeski's disease, then just lightly, really lightly cook it just to, to, to be on the safe side. We aren't, well, I'm not averse in, in, in some cases to lightly, lightly cooking food. I don't have a problem with that. Anything but kibble really for me is 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 a pretty good thing um have you got any questions there Brent? yeah so uh have another look at uh one from yeah so we were asking so debbie was asking with regards to this environmental chemicals your your favorite thing if you've got a uh, animal with issues around environmental chemical sensitivities and i'm guessing this is you know you've got a dog that's walking out in farmers' fields and they're, they're spraying their crops and stuff like that. You know, what sort of things, do you, how do you approach that for your clients? Great question. I've, I'm, I'm just talking about Charlie Arnott. He was interviewing a guy who is a holistic dentist in Sydney 
and this guy said there are approximately 150,000 artificial uh, chemicals out there and they are adding to that list to the tune of about 2,000 new chemicals every year. So it is a war zone out there. Um, uh, sorry, what was your question, Ben? So your favourite sort of support for dogs that have been exposed to synthetic chemicals and, you know, that you're... So I think we would need to be more specific. So let's just say they've been out in the fields, they've had sort of pesticide exposure. What's yeah. your sort of... Okay, so obviously... Uh, and I have to say this, otherwise my wife will kill me. I would I'd be shampooing that dog with a very good natural product like uh, like our friends at Thermodog, which is made by my wife, just so that you, uh, I declare my interest. <laughs> okay, so you've got to get the stuff off in the first place. You know, if you, I don't know, you go for a walk and you walk across the field and you get to the other end and you, you see the guy packing up his spraying uh, equipment, go home and you, and you shampoo the dog. If you go through the field and there, you, there is no obvious signs of spray, but you're thinking, hmm, it smells a bit funny, or oh, they were busy in this field yesterday, I would just do the same. I would, I would shampoo that dog, just get it off. Use, use a detergent, definitely use a detergent, because some of these things are organic and they are, they're not as water-soluble as they, they, they could be. The next thing is I would be thinking about uh, trying to work out, trying to find out what the product was and seeing if your homeopathic pharmacy does a, 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 potency, a, potent, a potency of that particular um, product, or you can talk to the farmer and get a little tiny bit of that product, as long as it's not super toxic, which many of them are, and you can send that to your homeopathic pharmacy, and they can run up a 30C potency or something like that, and that's a very big detox. They did it during the war with mustard gas, for example. They, they were detoxing. Uh, soldiers with mustard gas using homeopathics. The other thing is you can use things like um, Nux vomica or Thuya or something like that. These are the cleansing or sulfur or silica as a, as, a, as a cleansing remedy and your homeopathic vet will be able to go through those with you. And then the final thing that strikes me would be to use something like the good old milk thistle, Berberum, Schizandra in order to promote the very best of uh, liver and kidney health. What would your thoughts? Yeah, and I think absolutely right with that last bit, Debbie, you know, sort of like, you know, just clarifying it's about almost trying to help preventative and be proactive. And I think, you know, augmenting the organ function with those herbs that Nick's just talked about at the end there, um, you know, is is certainly a good way of trying to help the body metabolize any of these toxins. Most proactive support is always prevention, you know, just take care and think about where you're taking your dogs, um, you know, environmentally, changing some of the protocols in the home. Um, you know, don't forget, you know, a lot of EM, so electromagnetic radiation and the effects that has on sleep patterns. People sort of poo-poo this, you know, it's the tin hat brigade, you know, looking at this, but we all know that actually you will sleep better. Well, we don't all know. It is sh shown that you will sleep better if you turn off all of your Bluetooth and um, Wi-Fi's in the home. Um, so they've, they've looked at that. And actually, if you can improve the sleep patterns for yourself and therefore also for your dog, and the number of dogs I've seen with their beds just below the TV, right next to the main router for the whole house on Superboost, 
you know, whatever your provider is, um, you know, if you can improve the sleep patterns of us as mammals, you will reduce the sympathetic overdrive. And if you reduce the sympathetic overdrive, you actually will improve their health just because otherwise they're living on the edge of adrenaline and all of the other things, you know, the fight and flight, um, you know, scenarios that they're going to be in if they're having sympathetic um, overdrive. So I think, you know, those are simple fixes, even if it is just at night, switching some of that stuff off, thinking about what you're using around the home, where you're walking your dogs um, can have a big impact. In Scandinavia, um, apparently it is it is illegal. This is pretty old news and things may have changed, but it's illegal to, to um, build a primary school within a kilometre of a uh, telephone mast, you know, these the, 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 the relay mast that they use for mobile phones. So it's there is there is something in it. There really is something in it. You know, um, I did a search on, you know, you do that scientific search, and I was searching around um, some uh, research on the effect on our decline of bees, okay, um, and most people thinking about it being pesticides, etc. But they have actually found there is a massive effect from those masts on bees returning to their hive. Um, uh, it almost like frying the sort of, senses of those bees. Um, what's even more ridiculous is a namesake of mine, another Brendan Clark, is actually quite high up in research on that. It's nothing to do with me, guys. Nothing to do with me whatsoever. But <laughs> I bet it is. You're it's hiding like... your what's it's under a bushel there. Uh, bushel. <laughs> yes. Your bushels under a bushel. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> this is good. This is great information. There you go. I'm, I'm going to jump into another question because we've only got about 10 minutes or yep. so left. So here we go. So as raw feeders, we all understand the benefits of taurine and positive effects on heart health. My questions are, do kibble-fed dogs suffer more from heart issues than raw-fed dogs statistically? Has a study been done? And can changing over to balanced raw food improve heart health? And over what time period? Nice question. Um, I'm going to jump into that, and I'm going to say I, I don't think, and I'm borrowing information from the really wonderful uh, Ryan Yamka. You need to check him out on on YouTube. Yamka, Y A M K A, Ryan Yamka, and he has done. He's uh, basically he's he's a he's a nutritionist. Used to work with pills. Um, and he's, he's certified and, and everything else. And he's done a lot of research into the whole, uh, uh, what's it called? Ooh. Uh, the uh, it is called... Dilated cardiomyopathy, DCM? The, the DCM, yeah, the DCM. But they there was a, a rumour, and there's a whole conspiracy theory behind why that rumour started, but we won't go there, that... The um, grain-free kibble was associated with DCM. Okay, um, we will go there if you like, not today, and uh, and that's where it all started. But he's investigated this and he said there is no link. That um, yeah, there's no link. Okay, so that's a simple simple one there. Do you want to do the the next bit there? So do. People-fed dogs suffer from more heart disease than raw-fed ones. 
I don't know of any studies. Do you? I don't know of any studies. I think the issue will be about they are going to be more prone to any deficiencies within diets. And we know that I think it's over 60% of diets um, by um, a nemesis of yours uh, was um, uh, published, which he actually stated that he felt it was, it was a really high number. I think it was definitely over 60%. Yeah. It was about sixty-three percent of of kibble and ninety-five percent of tinned pet food That's did right. not come up to the FEDIAF guidelines. It's a two thousand and seventeen yeah. Nottingham University study. So uh, something that I'm looking into right now is uh, this uh, whole thing about digestibility. Should it be measured by energy? Should it be measured by assimilation? There are some recent studies, I showed you one the other day, just on uh, micronutrients and actually the rate of assimilation in fresh and, uh, you know, certainly fresh ingredient food over high ultra-high processed food. So there is research out there um, showing that they are more likely to be able to get um, the, uh, the nutrients from fresh foods over ultra-high processed. I think outside of that, um, being more specific, Look, there's so many more dogs on kibble uh, foods for so much longer. Um, you know, there are so many different types of heart disease. You know, dilated cardiomyopathy is the one that most people point about taurine uh, to because of the effects in cats, not necessarily in dogs. Because um, taurine isn't, strictly speaking, a, an essential amino acid in dogs. Um, they can synthesize it. Uh, so it is. Um, something that maybe is a little bit of a red herring because of that. And there was this whole, you know, they get it because of genetics, you know, for dilated cardiomyopathy. So we see certain breeds definitely with dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, there is some interesting research on some polypeptides out there as supplements um, for these. So there's a, a whole new range of um, engineered peptide treatments that are sort of coming onto the market in the human field and you know people are starting to look at that for their dogs um, and there are some that are specifically associated with heart disease and, and dilated cardiomyopathy in humans so it would be interesting to see where that goes in the future um, uh, so yeah loads, loads of stuff uh, out there on new supplements i guess uh, as much as anything we know that um, omega-3s uh, definitely have got a place in treating heart disease as has selenium um, and uh, vitamin E, vitamin e. Vitamin e. Uh, that's yeah. it uh, yeah. so they have a, a a definitive place I think outside of that look would I feed a heart disease dog on raw yes I definitely would uh, without a shadow of doubt I would go um, further than that. I, I would say uh, feed heart. I always feed my heart cases with heart. Now, it sounds like something from Shakespeare, but actually there's, there's some good idea because heart is really full of coenzyme Q10 and choline and taurine and all that kind of stuff, and therefore very good because hearts require this stuff. So there is, there is uh, real logic there. I've, all my cavaliers will go on to heart from kind of, six years old if not if not and this will be kind of two or three times a week or a little bit of heart in every single meal um yeah. right so 
Uh, Bren, I'm go I'm going to have to shoot. So yep. what are we doing next week? Do you think? Because uh, uh, Brady might grace us with his presence. Do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then, then we will come up with a good plan. Um, uh, there is so much to talk about. Uh, so many new things. I think it's about time we did another deep dive into regen farming. You know, some new thoughts. You, I think you should do that. I'd love to. You said one of the guests would come along. Did you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. We could do that. I've got a guy. Um, he's called Andy Gray, uh, and he has a, 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 a. He runs a regenerative um, farm, and he raises cattle and what have you. And he is based at Crediton in Devon, and his his company is called the Farmer's Dog. So that's that's he's he's, he's strongly strongly regenerative. And um, he's a good bloke, so we will, we will, we will well, get him on. Yeah, yeah. And please don't forget, join us on um, the www.patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics if you want that code to Brady's special course um, and see what he's going to uh, to show us. Um, and, and we'll maybe quiz him about it next week and see uh, see if he's uh, he's had any takers and questions on that um so anything else i'll try and pop some other um uh, comments on on those after this session um and we look forward to seeing you next week fabulous take care guys great guys thank you so much <laughs> Blind, 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 blind.